Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert with my co-host, Sports Radio 610, Sean Bijani. And in this one, we look at key Texans off-season questions like free agent keepers and how the past might teach us about the future. But Sean, we haven't heard your reaction since the Ravens game. What did you think? Any surprises? Yeah, I was surprised that uh, it wasn't more of a ball game uh, beyond the third quarter, really, really mid-third quarter. It's just uh, it became pretty apparent that the Ravens, they weren't going to give C.J. any time. The Texans' offensive line wasn't going to give C.J. any time to to operate. You know, if you think about it, like maybe we shouldn't be surprised. You knew how good the Ravens were going into the game. You knew that since week one, as improved as the Texans were, the Ravens were really good too. They uh, cleaned a lot of things up. But man, I mean, if that's not your favorite to win the Super Bowl right now, then I don't know what to tell you. They just look that good, that complete. And I just think their defense was suffocating, overwhelming. It was really kind of a microcosm of what you should have already known about the Texans already, things that we've been talking about all season long. The offensive line, it reared its ugly head. When you think you're good, (laughs) not so fast. And they're banged up, guys out of position, maybe just flat out not that good um, if it's a scheme, I don't know. You couldn't run the ball worth a lick. I thought the, the Ravens just completely neutralized the Texans offensively. And I, you got to take your hat off to D'Amico Ryans and that defense for keeping it close and pressuring Lamar and being able to get home as much as they did in that first half with the three sacks. It was just one of those things that wasn't sustainable. And I, I don't know why. I mean, if you want to talk coaches, players, maybe all of the above, the Ravens made the necessary adjustments at the half and didn't allow the Texans to do defensively what they were in the first half. And Ravens just kept at it. They stepped on the throat in the second half on their defensive side of the ball and uh, really brought it to CJ in that offense. So, I mean, was I surprised? I mean, yes and no, but I really thought it was going to be a better game than it was. Yeah, I simplified it in our post-game show and, you know, on social media that I just simplified it to the Texans just weren't good enough in the trenches on both sides. And and we we knew going into the game, the Texans offensive line was going to have issues with the defensive line of the Ravens. But on the other side, I felt that was some of the same things. I mean, there was some back end stuff as well. um, Scheme stuff, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it was it was rough. But um, I tell you what. You know, C.J. Stroud was asked if that that's going to be uh, kind of a chip on his shoulder type of a game. And he basically said he doesn't operate in that world anymore. It's a waste of his time, basically. Uh, but look, I think a lot of Texans are going to remember that game until they get back and have that same opportunity against uh, the same team or a different team, whether it be next year or beyond. They're going to remember how close they were to playing for a chance to get to a Super Bowl. I think that is important because I think a lot of what the Texans were able to achieve this year came from the belief in themselves, but the lack of belief in everybody in them from everybody else. I think that's important. And as as this team changes, and it will change pretty significantly, it appears again this offseason, they've got 30-some-odd free agents and (laughs) – you know, you're going to lose a handful of coaches, presumably. You're going to have to restock, retool there. You're bringing in different people, different mindsets, different characters, and you've got to get them to buy in. Next year, the, the expectations are going to be different, as they should be. It's not going to be 
oh, you know, nobody expects anything from us. Let's prove them wrong. It's no, we we expect you guys to be pretty good. What are you going to do with it? So it's going to be interesting to see how they go forward there. Yeah, we need to get to some of the questions moving forward. But a quick reminder, look for our last show with friend of the show, retired Astros broadcaster Greg Lucas. Good stuff on Billy Wagner's Hall of Fame denial, the Josh Hader signing, and new Astros Hall of Famer Ken Caminetti with some stories about him. Tomorrow, keep an eye out for some Rockets conversation with one of our Rockets regulars. Let's get back to the Texans, though, and Sean, lots of teams interviewed Bobby Slowick. Is he ready to be a head coach? I personally don't think so, and I personally believe that he doesn't think so. He's meeting with Washington uh, again, I believe, today on Wednesday. Uh, I think in person, he already had a virtual deal with them this past weekend after their loss. <laughs> I wonder what that's like. You know, you get your teeth kicked in, and <laughs> the very next day you're interviewing for a job. That's got to be rough, but kind of weird. But um, look, I, I say I don't think he's ready because – his resume, while impressive, um, he's got one year of coordinator experience. And I think he has the chops to be a head coach. But I think we have to understand that maybe this is not really 2019. 2019 might be the last year for a while that we see a coach or so many coaches get hired with so little previous coordinator experience. Remember 2019 when Matt LaFleur was hired by the Packers? He had one year of coordinator experience anywhere. Freddie Kitchens, when he was hired by the Browns to be their head coach, less than a year of coordinator experience. Zach Taylor, hired by the Bengals, less than a year of coordinator experience. You haven't really seen anything like that since the 2019 season. And what guys are different, sometimes a special one comes along. And I think we all believe that Bobby Slowick could be a special guy, but we want him to be a special guy here. I think a lot this offseason turns out to be like a lot of offseasons are, where it's a fact-finding mission, an opportunity to – uh, experience what it's like uh, interviewing for head coaching jobs. If you're Bobby Slowick, I don't see him being ready to make that jump and leading a team. I see him licking his wounds and adjusting and coming back, being an even more polished play caller coordinator because he found some pretty important things out about himself that are redeeming qualities that are necessary for a head coach to have this season and he talked about it a number of times this year when he had his boat rocked week one against the Baltimore Ravens he flipped script they changed a lot of what they thought they were going to be as an offense they pivoted right away literally the next day Bobby Slowick talked about that last week didn't work out this last go-round against the Ravens. But I thought that was interesting that he, throughout the season, explained that he needed to listen to his players, that he needed to be able to adjust in-game. He needed to be able to pivot and understand that it's not by the book. It's what is best for our players, and they're going to have better players, presumably coming in this offseason. they got a little money to spend. I know a lot of it has to be spent on guys to retain, but the one thing I'll say, that bothers me, concerns me as a, a a Texan fan, really one spot that he's interviewing for today, and that's the Washington Commanders. They've got a ton of cap room, I think maybe the most in the entire league, to spend this offseason. They've got the number two overall draft choice. So Washington's a familiar place for Bobby Slowick. That's where he'd started his NFL career back in 2011 as a low-level defensive assistant before going on to pro football focus. So he's got familiarity with the city. He's got familiarity with an organization that, oh, by the way, actually has a direction and is headed 
somewhere different now forward without Dan Snyder bogging them down. Josh Harris, the new ownership group, they've got plans. They want to be relevant again. So I worry about those things and that why why those things might be alluring. And they should be, not just for the commanders, but maybe to Bobby Slowick as well. It's just something I go back. I think about what D'Amico Ryan said a couple of weeks ago when he was first asked about the possibility of losing Slowick. And he'd said, my piece of advice to him is just, you know, listen, be patient and do what's best for you. Is making that jump, taking over an organization, particularly like the Washington Commanders, the best thing for Bobby Slowick at this point in time? I don't see it. And I hope I'm right. So you want to put the slow in Slowick as far as another job? Yeah, slow it down, man. Pump the brakes a little bit, Bobby. It's got to be extremely, extremely attractive for Bobby Slowick. And it's real. It's not just like he's kind of caught fire the last couple of weeks. People have been talking about this for like half of the season. Like, man, this guy's good. <laughs> this guy's really good. He's going he's gonna to be you know, an option for somebody somewhere. I, I just think that um, NFL teams – We'll see. Maybe the commanders fall in line or if they don't. I, I think experience matters. It's not just about, hey, you're bringing a great scheme and we've got money to spend. We're going to have a quarterback that you can mold. It's about leading a team. It's about surrounding yourself with great people to help you do your job the best you possibly can. And again, a, a tough situation. Be a hell of a challenge. It's got to be alluring. Coaches love challenges. They want to do something that people don't think that can be done and Bobby Sloak, you know, maybe was a part of that here. I just, I think about it like the Eric B thing, right. And maybe I'm off base here, but B had opportunities, you know, to, to go, maybe not real opportunities, but a lot of people talked about him as a head coaching candidate for all those years that he was helping Andy Reid with the offense in Kansas city under Patrick Mahomes. And if I'm B like, I don't want to leave. I got the sweetest job ever. I got Patrick Mahomes as my quarterback. We run a great offense. I got one of the greatest head coaches ever. If I'm Bobby Slowick, I'm looking at this like this is an opportunity to build something really special here with maybe one of the top quarterbacks in the league for the foreseeable future in C.J. Stroud. Why would I want to leave just yet? Let me see what I can do. Yeah, another thing, he's just going to have to trust the fact that he can be the hot name again next year. You just don't know what's going to happen. And next year with the Texans, and we're going to get to that. I'm going to run through some Texans free agents one by one. Tell me which ones you think are keepers, Sean. I'll I'll start with number one, Dalton Schultz. And I say keeper unless you can find a better option, maybe somebody who blocks too. Yeah, I mean, I think he should be one of the top priorities for Casario to bring back this offseason. I think he could and should get a nice-sized, you know, multi-year deal based off of the performance that he'd had this year. It was right in line with uh, the numbers that he'd put up previously in Dallas. He should be a top priority, but you should also be looking, right? and see what makes the best financial sense for you, who's the best fit for your team, for your scheme. And maybe those questions are in flux. It depends on the future of Bobby Sloak, right? Because if he leaves, do you pivot to Gerard Johnson? Well, Gerard Johnson's taking job interviews for an offensive coordinator position. Would he stay with the Texans as the OC? And is he the best man for that job? You're not going to pivot like drastically from one offensive scheme to another this offseason after you had so much success with Stroud and this. You got to find the right guy there, too. And then they might have a different idea of what they want in a tight end, particularly. So it's a very influx, fluid situation. But Dalton Schultz, let's just keep it with him. I mean, he wasn't exactly C.J. Stroud's safety blanket 
to start the season as we all thought he would be. It took him a little while to come along, but he did. He became a reliable, consistent option for CJ. And I think what we probably won't end up giving Dalton Schultz enough credit for is really been maybe the last third of the season. He became a more than serviceable blocker. And I think that's just an area of his game where he just hasn't been consistent in his career, but really needed to be in this offense, especially with how weak the offensive line was. You got to give a tip of cap there, but he had a really good year. I, I don't know if he's going to command, you know, top tight end dollar this offseason. I don't think he should, but should be a nice payday for a team that, you know, gave him a one-year $9.9 million flyer this past season. I'd like to keep him around. I think he's a good professional dude, works hard, and he's tough. Next up, Devin Singletary. And I don't mind keeping him, but you got out there Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Austin Eckler. They're all free agents at the moment. There's no doubt there's going to be options out there. Devin Singletary, though, uh, should be one of them, in my opinion. Does he need to be your lead back again next year? I, I don't think so. Look, he's been that guy in Buffalo. He needed to be that guy this year because Damian Pierce just fell off the face of the earth. Um he didn't even emerge, Singletary didn't, as the Texans lead back until around week 14, I think it was, that Jets game. And it was necessary beyond that point for you to get every last bit Motor could give you. And thankfully, you know, you did. It was enough. But it remains to be seen how much patience the Texans are going to have in Damian Pierce and if he can be a fit in this scheme. And again, it goes back to, well, is Bobby going to be back? Is Gerard going to take over the OC? What's the situation there? How do they see their running backs? A lot of fluid questions in that regard. The guys that you just mentioned that are available in the open market, like they're going to cost you some money. Is that an area that the Texans want to spend a lot of money on guys that have be a lot of tread wear, you know, on their tires already? That's something that I would be a little bit concerned with. Can they find a more viable option via the draft? I don't know what the draft looks like from a running back standpoint, but it is encouraging that the Texans have all of their picks in every round. And, you know, Nick Casario, if he does what he does, and presumably he will do what he does, uh, and that's get a little creative and aggressive in the draft, maybe move up to try and find what's necessary for this team to get. I kind of trust him in that regard, but I think you need to explore bringing Singletary back at least as, you know, RB2. And that's assuming that the Texans just have run out of patience with DP. Yeah, the thing about the draft, people got to think about it in these terms. The draft doesn't happen until after free agency. And really, what free agents are doing is giving you a guy that you know can do the job in case you do not find the guy that you want in the draft. And, you know, that's the thing is the, these are sometimes like cushions for that. So it's, yeah, it's you said it, it's where you want to spend your money at running back or how much you want to spend on running back because you can spend it on Singletary and say, we're going to get somebody in the draft or we, you can maybe spend it, spend a little bit more on the guy. That's a bigger guy prior to the draft. And no, I don't have to deal with running back at all in the draft. I don't have to force myself to draft the running back. So that, that's something to think about yeah. the next guy, Jonathan Grenard, Sean, I don't know if you need a lot of time on this. I don't, I'd say he's priority number one. He's definitely priority number one, but it's a decision the Texans are going to have to make if they want to commit top dollar to, you know, a guy that's going into his fifth year that he was banged up this year. He had a propensity, you know, to get banged up in years before. It cost him good chunks of the season. You know, you go back to 2021 when he led the team in sacks, I think with eight, eight and a half. I mean, he probably bests 
the numbers that he put up this year in 2021 if he's fully healthy. And so you look at a guy like that and, man, is this a perennial, like, double-digit sack guy going forward? Do you want to miss out on that? The combination that he and Will Anderson were, the bookend edge rushers for the Texans in this defense this year? Like, you can really solidify the interior and get some better linebacker, more consistent linebacker play. It can be really sick. It's something that you're going to have to you're going to have to really, really explore. And I don't think there's much time needing to be spent on it. Kind of like you said, I mean, if you can get Jonathan Grenard for 17 million a year, which is no, it's not top dollar, but it's, it's really good money for an elite type edge rusher in the NFL. I just want to say though, that like, my why I say it's priority number one is finding these guys in the draft, especially where the Texans are drafting this year, is is pretty impossible. And number one, number two, if you like the guy in the locker room, if you like the chemistry that he's got with the guys, then just keep them. Don't make it that complicated. Number three, if you don't like him, if you're worried about his injury history, you know, th- then the thing is you're still going to have to go spend money on another guy at about the same price. I, I don't know what the difference is. You know, those guys don't come cheap. You know, pass rushers do not come cheap. Exactly. And, you know, what better path to maybe take than the one with uh, you've got the most comfortability with, the one that knows your system, the one that, as you all said, you know, kind of gelled with what you already have going on uh, with a guy like Will Anderson. You're not going to have to pay for a couple more years, presumably. I would love to have Jonathan Grenard back. I think, um, you know, he's been – He's been uh, one of the true professionals in that locker room. And I think, you know, this year it's one of those things you always talk about, you know, kind of with a tongue in cheek and you side eyed a little bit going in like, oh, watch out to contract year. Guy's probably going to have a really good season. And he did, but he played banged up, especially down the stretch. And that's the kind of level of toughness that I, I put a little extra value on. A guy could play or, or he can't. And Jonathan Grenard is an absolute baller. So if I'm the Texans and you can make it make sense financially where it doesn't hamstring you from addressing other needs uh, on the team, you absolutely have to do it. I, and I think we can just say this point blank with everything, unless it's crazy money, obviously you're not going to want to spend it. But if you feel like the value is decent, it's the, we're, we're trying to say who are the, the biggest priorities of the guys that are the free agents. If you look at this roster, Blake Cashman, I'd like to keep him, but you know, this is, that's right into the, what I was just saying. It's gotta be reasonable with that injury history. It's the injury history. It's the fact that he was never really a linebacker before in the NFL. I mean, he was a linebacker, but he was a special teams ace. And you could say that, look, injury really kept him from uh, showing his true colors and playing up to his potential at the linebacker position. He was healthy this year. Um, you know, played in 15 games or played in 16, I think uh, started in uh, 13, which was a career high for him. Led the team in tackles this season, uh, was kind of Johnny on the spot, you know, a lot, whether it be a forced fumble, fumble recovery, interception, big play, TFL. He always just seemed to be in the mix. That's what you want. That's what you need from your middle linebacker. You expect that. I think he's proven enough to be a complimentary piece on this team going forward, but not the guy in my estimation i think the texans have to significantly improve a position that i thought was the black sheep coming into the season 
You know, you were you were really good with a secondary. You were encouraged by the defensive line with all the depth that you had there. And I just thought that linebacker core really was a glaring weakness. And the most encouraging thing to come from it was the development of Christian Harris and the play of Blake Cashman. If you can keep cash around and he deserves a decent little pay raise, if you can keep around, keep him around, you know, and make it pretty affordable, I'd absolutely do it because he's tough, he's smart, he's loyal, and he's a player in this defense. A guy that's coming in that had been here through the lean years and played middle school type of defense football, you know, for a tanking Texans team to come in and, you know, play legitimate NFL football for a real coordinator and a real scheme. And to have the success that he did, I absolutely want to keep that guy. Now let's get to some guys that maybe we can be a little bit quicker with the evaluation. Steven Nelson, you got to have a vet number two cornerback, but it's about the price and who's available. I'm not smart enough to figure this out, Sean, to be honest with you. I'm not married to Nelson. So it's just a matter of what Casario thinks Nelson's worth and other guys on the market are worth as far as I'm concerned. I don't know. He's kind of interesting. He had maybe the most interesting season out of anybody that wore a Texan uniform. If you think about where he'd come from, he went from a guy that looked to me, in my opinion, we talked about it to be a surefire cut after, uh, you know, throwing daggers at Nick Casario's wardrobe and calling him a, a mofo on social media and training camp. He parlayed that into a pay raise this year. <laughs> put together a really good season. I think finished eighth in the NFL in interceptions. He had four, but he's 31 years old. Maybe Nick Casario just felt like it was out of necessity that if D'Amico was going to do what he wanted to do with this defense this year, you had to have another top-level corner to go alongside Derek Stingley because the steep drop-off was just that. It was steep. You saw it. D'Angelo freaking Ross. You know, they had to go out and get guys during the season to just plug in when they were hurt, uh, especially given the fact that MJ Stewart, Eric Murray dropped off earlier in the season. So the thing is, Nelson wants to get paid. I just don't think the Texans appear to be in line to be the team that gives him that bag. Somebody will. Everybody wants to get paid. In the NFL, you think you want to get paid and then nobody pays you. We just saw that with Dalton Schultz. So we'll see what happens with that. George Fant, look, it's a deep tackle draft. But you can't just let him walk with the Titus injury. You don't want to just throw in a rookie if Titus is hurt to start the season. And without knowing if you're going to draft the tackle, you know, you got to keep fan. I, I, I would have to think. I don't think you have a chance in hell in keeping him, to be honest with you. I mean, he's been a starting right tackle in this league before. You've got Titus Howard, who's going to come back. He may not be ready for, you know, training camp, but we'll see. Fant was a starting right tackle this year, de facto. You needed him to be, and he played out of his mind. He was awesome. I think he made money, and he said a few weeks ago, like a month ago, he came here to reset his market as a backup. Well, he used to reset his market as a starter, okay? There is going to be a team out there that presumably looking for a right tackle, and I think they're going to make George Fant an offer that the Texans can't even come close to matching because the Texans would need Fant as a role player type, uh, a backup. Well, the Texans are not in position to overpay anybody on an offensive line, especially just for a backup role. You've got to play your guys in position that you've paid for and locked up, whether it be in free agency, resigning, or the draft through 2026. You know who those guys are. (laughs) Your real questions are about the center guard, left guard combo. That's TBD. Titus Howard, dang sure better be playing right tackle instead of George Fant for the Texans this next season. Tavier Thomas and Desmond King. 
between those two, I like King because he's also a solid punt return guy. He's more valuable. He's a better fit just as a football player. I mean, Desmond King, another guy, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not back, to be honest with you, because I think the reason why the Texans cut him outside of camp is far beyond and has nothing to do with what he brings you on a football field. It's just about maturity issues and whether or not Desmond King has figured those out, sorted those out and can convinces Nick Casario he's moved on and is beyond that stuff and deserves to be around here. I don't know if he'll be back. I'd like to have him back. I thought the value that he brought this team was maybe even more apparent with him without him on it than it was with him on the field for him. Because with Tavier Thomas, you saw this guy get exposed. He doesn't have near the size. He's not really a nickel corner. He's kind of like a hybrid linebacker, so to speak. And in in coverage, he's just nowhere near as good of a fit in this system or even athletically like a guy like Desmond King. Could the Texans do better on the open market, too, than both of those guys? Presumably. I don't know who's out there. I haven't taken a look. But if I'm just going... Desmond King, Tommy or Thomas, which one? Tommy is not in the conversation for me. Like, thanks, but no thanks. Des, if you can get your stuff right, he's he's a heck of an athlete, former All-Pro. I'd love to have him back. It's a great defensive tackle market. Sheldon Rankins, I think they might just let him walk and make a splash upgrade if they can get one of these big-name guys. Possibly. You know, he's getting up there. I think this will be his ninth season coming up in the NFL. So he's got a little tread on those tires, but he also put together one of his best seasons that he'd ever had in his NFL career this year for the Texans was a steadying force. He's uh, tough, smart and plays so well uh, and, and jives with Malik Collins on the interior. And that's a group that rewind about four or five months ago. We were talking about freaking Hassan Ridgeway you know, maybe being a dude and it was Rankins and it was Collins and you went out and you got Khalil Davis who they're, they've got to consider, you know, the former USFL guy. I mean, he came in and balled his butt off, you know, in key spots, uh, had some big games for him. I think Rankins is a guy that is well worth considering keeping around because you can't ever have too many good veterans like that. It's just the Texans need to determine, okay, what does our defensive side of the football look like with a lot of these key veterans that we did have that we're going to be able to really keep around because of age and financially speaking? Jerry Hughes, probably not one of them. The reason I'm saying what I'm saying, Sean, is like I said, they've got the market if you want to spend real money on a defensive tackle, and I heard very clearly D'Amico Ryan say, we need to be get better up front. I yep. put my priorities up front. He said that in the press conference. If they're going to spend that money, they're not going to spend it on Sheldon Rankins to be a backup. They'll spend it on the Kurt Heinishes of the world to be a backup, but not on the Sheldon Rankins. That's my feeling. <laughs> it, it just depends, you know, and where Rankins thinks he's at is his career. He's coming off of one of the best years of his career, so he's probably going to be paid, you know, commensurate to that. Well, Kurt. you said his age, you might just, again, the Kurt Heinishes that are younger, that might be a, a hair cheaper than Rankins. That's yeah, what I'm saying. A hair cheaper, but a steep drop off in terms of productivity and talent wise. You know, well, Heinish, you Heinish don't worry about season. it. What I'm saying is if you go out and sign the big name guy again, I'm saying they're going to go try to sign that big name guy. That's just all I'm saying. And if they do, they're not signing Sheldon Rankins because he's not as cheap as Kurt Heinish. Now, once you spent that money there, why are you worried about a ba- spending money on a backup that you just spent on a starter and like Sheldon Rankins? 
offense. No, that's fair. It's just, you know, who's that back? I mean, who's that starter, that big name starter going to be to replace Sheldon Rankins? Yeah, no, there, there, there are yes. names out there. We can, we're going to get probably into that as we get closer into free agency and see who's available. But, but yeah. there, that's definitely the market. Running backs are really strong in the free agent market and defensive tackles are really strong in the free agent. Market. Yeah, and two two areas that Texans need massive help in. There's no doubt, um, and I say massive help. I mean, they might have it already, you know, in Sheldon Rankins if they feel like he could be a guy that can get on a two- or three-year deal that makes financial sense. He might and be those, a great fit. And those two particular positions are not particularly strong, I don't think, in this draft. There are other positions like offensive tackle, wide receiver that they're talking mm-hmm. about that are strong, quarterback if you need one of those guys, but, you know. We're, we're not one of the poorest that needs a quarterback anymore. So ha ha ha. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, these last three, just go through them quickly. Denzel Perryman, Noah Brown, Eric Murray. Eric Murray, no. Um, I mean, to me, he's not even, he's not a key free agent. I mean, I feel like the Texans uh, could have gotten rid of him a couple of years ago, uh, to be honest with you. You can do a lot better on the market there. Um, the Texans and Nick Casario proved as much during the regular season when they went out and they were able to get guys like Kareem Jackson and Adrian Amos and DeAndre Houston Carson. You can find those guys sometimes, you know, at the drop of a hat. I, I'd like to see the Texans really explore that market for uh, safety and get some uh, guys that are going to be here for the long haul. Let's see. Who else did you mention besides uh, Eric Murray? Uh, Noah, Noah Brown, Denzel Perry. Man, yeah. Okay, so Perryman. I think he can do better, to be honest with you. I don't know that he's a real fit. I thought he was going to be a thumper. He couldn't stay healthy, and he wasn't great in coverage. But, look, you know, it was pretty solid against the run. You know, good tackler. I like get, him. Get, gets hurt, though. He gets hurt. Yeah. You said you just said it. He's not good at really any – he's not really great at anything, and he gets hurt a lot. And he also gets uh, suspended sometimes because of his hits. But, I mean, sometimes there's not much you can do about that. I think he was kind of given the shaft, you know, on on at least one of those. And but he's it, now got a reputation, and it's too bad, so sad. You've got that reputation. It's another factor I've got to throw in if I'm going to yeah. spend money on you. But you know what? I think the Texans wouldn't mind having that reputation. In fact, I think uh, D'Amico would tell you to your face that he wouldn't mind having that reputation as being, you know, a feared and physical, overly aggressive defense. But... I don't think Perryman is really going to be an option for the Texans. I didn't even consider him when I did my write-up for uh, key Texan free agents. He wasn't in that. He was like in the other category. Noah's just, if, if you can get him cheap, but otherwise, I mean, I think you can do better than Noah Brown. I think Noah Brown thinks he can do better than what the Texans are presumably going to and should offer him. I mean, he would have had a blowout career year if he wouldn't have missed seven games. He caught 10 fewer passes this year than he did last year, which was a career high for the Dallas Cowboys, but surpassed it in yards, yards per target, yards per reception. He had the most explosive plays that he'd ever had in this offense with the Texans this year than in any offense he's ever played in. But I, think I don't Noah know Brown's probably going to get paid elsewhere. I just don't think the Texans are in the position to do that. And you can get healthier, you can get younger, you can get better, you can get more talented elsewhere. Yeah, I don't know if he's got an injury history, but you just said the injuries. And, and the, the Texans are going to have to deal with probably a Tank Dell issue with injuries. So you don't need another guy. And, you know, Nico's been, you know, had, or he's had his stuff with injuries. So that's 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 why. I don't think he's got like a significant injury history outside of maybe really this year and maybe another year prior. And I don't even know what was banged up on him. But, I mean, Noah Brown was dealing with a groin. He was dealing with a knee. He was dealing with a back. He was dealing with a hamstring. 
The dude was like peanut brittle. Look, he was baller. It was a great, great stretch. You know, Tampa Bay, Cincinnati, and, you know, was kind of Mr. Consistent when he was out there. You know, he's going to give you three, four, five catches every ball game. Cool. You need viable weapons now that you know you for sure have two going forward and Nico Collins and Tank Dell when he returns. He also had more drops than I would like, and that's a whole other story. What's, what's the best and worst redeeming quality, um, or I'm trying to figure out how to say this, but what's the best and worst quality from this past Texan season? I think their best quality was their culture, the belief factor. It's something that you know we're probably going to get into a little bit later when you talk about uh, you know the future and what might hold, but the culture shift man was just phenomenal. And it wasn't like, Hey, you know, we just, we, we got a whole bunch of dudes in here that, that just, we got the hand pick and pluck. Now that's kind of coming this season because you're going to phase a lot of those carryovers out that you had during the lean years. The roster churned 50% this past off season. I think for D'Amico Ryan's coming in to get the existing guys, the new guys, people that knew him, people that didn't know him and didn't know what it was all about to all believe in themselves and play over their heads and have that kind of us versus world mentality. I think that kind of carried them. And that's, that's invaluable when you can get a – a team to do that in year one. Uh, it's not just leadership did. with the Texans though. It's young leadership. That's what's so incredible because you have Will Anderson, CJ exactly. Stroud, D'Amico Ryans, mm-hmm. uh, even Tank Dell. We heard what an influence he was on the wide receiving room. All, all three of those guys that you just mentioned, CJ Stroud, Will Anderson, Tank Dell, that was the young core that came in via the draft and they were immediately given ownership. Uh, yeah, you draft them because they're really good at football, but you draft them because they've got uh, the personality, charisma, and attitude, um, energy, and ability to have a team gravitate towards them. And when you're trying to galvanize a group of people to do something special, uh, you could find <laughs> a lot worse than those three. So that's kind of the point that I was going to get to there is that's the most redeeming quality from this football team and you've got it for the foreseeable future and that core three for sure uh the worst redeeming quality by this houston texans team this year i think was depth across the board and it's going to be really interesting to see how nick Casario, you know finagles the finances via the draft and free agency to make this a deeper team it was deep in areas Interior D-line, we kind of saw that um, edge, you know, with the ability to go out and get guys like Derek Barnett to come in and be impactful. Um, you know, Tier Tart on the interior, Khalil Davis, they were able to do that. I think this year, I would even maybe chuck into one of the most redeemable qualities, things we maybe learned most about this team is that, you know what? Maybe trust Nick Casario's talent evaluation process a little bit more, especially with the partnership now that he has in D'Amico Ryans. That's something that we need to talk a lot about this offseason and, and pay attention to. Maybe have a little bit more faith in. But the worst is certainly depth, in my opinion. Across the board, offense, defense, you've got to make sure that you sew up linebacker, interior D-line, edge rush, secondary now is a bigger thing than it was before this past off season wide receiver core running back uh offensive line not so much you know the guys that are going to be here it's just where are they going to be playing uh you got to figure that one out 
Um, I, I think I think that is probably the worst and to be paid the most attention to this offseason. Yeah, I want to speak to the depth and this next question that we've got, because after last year and with the promising young quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, the Jaguars, their future looked bright. And if you surprise everybody in the NFL, it's a problem because your schedule gets harder. The expectations ramp up. You got a target on your back. We just saw it with the Jaguars. Sean, what does history say about this Texans future? And and, and after you say that, I, I, I'm going to speak to a little bit what you're talking about the depth as well. All right. Well, I might be coming uh, at a different angle um, than, than you, you might be expecting from this question. But what history says about the future of this Texans organization is what we were looking at in regards to the Jacksonville Jaguars last year, after they had gone from the worst team in the AFC South to the best, won the division in 2022, the sustainability factor. How often are teams able to make that type of significant jump where they go worst to first? What do they do the next year? Less than 50% of the time, Robert, that team that goes worst to first does not win the division the following season. It doesn't make the playoffs the following season. So with all of the things the last few minutes that we just talked about in terms of the best and worst redeeming qualities, the depth and all of those things, and look, you maybe have just as many questions if you're the Houston Texans to answer this offseason as you did last year. They're just different questions. And the most important one, you don't need to worry about. You know who your quarterback is. You know who your head coach is. But what about your O.C.? You know, they just lost their defensive line coach, Jacques Cesare. You're going to be losing coaches. You're, you've got to find, you know, replacements and quality replacements, guys that fit, players that fit. The Texans might have, by a lot of people's estimation, played over their heads, overachieved, uh, played outside of their talent level this year to do what they did. Is it going to be sustainable? Can it be sustainable? The Texans, in my opinion, are in a position to make it sustainable because of the money, because of the draft capital, because of the key pieces that we just talked about having on both sides of the ball in place already. That is something that you need to keep an eye on, though, as the Jacksonville Jaguars probably have a little bit more money to spend in the offseason than they had in the last couple of years after they'd spent out the wazoo in 2021's offseason, I believe it was. Anthony Richards coming back healthy for the Indianapolis Colts. He'll be their quarterback this next year, presumably, and lasting longer than four games. The Tennessee Titans are going to be a better football team across the board. They should be, right? The division, the, the division, again, I feel like we've been saying this every year with the exception of the three years the Texans were tanking. AFC South should be better. It's going to be a tougher road. The Texans have a tougher schedule, a lot tougher schedule. So keep an eye on that and in just the necessary areas of improvement that is needed. Do the Texans meet those standards? And then can they put it all together? And in they're going to have to have some depth to do it next year within this division and tough schedule. That's going to be an interesting follow. Your colleagues at 610, Payne and Pendergast, brought up the Astros in, as an example. They shocked everybody, as we remember, by making the playoffs in 2015, yeah. but then missed the playoffs in 16 prior to their historic run. But, Sean, I'm not sure it's apples to apples because the Astros starting pitching at that point wasn't rock solid. And I'll compare pitching 
starting pitching to an NFL quarterback. I have more faith in Stroud, the equivalent of an of the starting pitching of the Astros, than I did in Keuchel, McCullers, and McHugh to hold it down. And Sean, the other thing in the Texans' favor, potentially, is health. You talked about, well, they didn't have the depth. Well, we, we've talked about over and over again, the, the depth, you cannot have 30 guys on the offensive line. You can't have 30 safeties. I can't imagine the O-line, the receiving core, and the safeties can be as banged up next year as they were this year. The O-line is especially a big deal because health leads to chemistry. Health leads to chemistry because guys get to work together, and there's no position group in the NFL more important for chemistry than the offensive line. No question. Uh, the Texans uh, were probably historically banged up on the offensive line this year. I think the only other team in the NFL that uh, went through more starting combinations on the front was the Cleveland Browns. And maybe another team ran a close second or third to the Texans and the Browns. But, yeah, I mean, it was incredible to do what they did. Um, which makes you it makes you feel even better about uh, your quarterback and C.J. Stroud uh, that you were able to do that because of him, because of him and like your offensive coordinator who came in and uh, whipped things up. So, yeah, I, I I thought about that analogy before too. You know, are the Texans closer to the 2015 Houston Astros? that kind of shocked everybody, pushed the Royals to the brink and, you know, had an off 16 season before they made their run in 17? Or, you know, is this kind of like the the 2016 version, you know, of the Houston Astros? Well, the 16 version didn't make the playoffs, Bajani, so it couldn't be. Okay, yeah, but this Texans team – wasn't expected to make the playoffs. They weren't expected to win the division. They were expected by me especially to just at least be in the hunt. Well, they were that and then some. The most redeeming quality about this football team, in my opinion, was the infusion of those three incredibly important core pieces. And I'll even go four because I think your head coach, D'Amico Ryans, was is just as much a part of it as it was C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson, and Tank Dell. The belief factor that they brought in, the want to, from the time that they heard their name called on draft night, they said, we're going to go change a franchise. And they did it. A lot of people probably say other things when they hear their name. They said, we know where we're going. We have the opportunity together to change a franchise, shock the world. That's where that started. And I think they played over their heads. I think this this Texans team could be just one season away from, as Blake Cashman said, you know, don't be surprised, you know, if very soon this Texans team is playing in a Super Bowl. I'm not forecasting it in 2024, the 25 season. But very soon, I think they should absolutely have the opportunity to do it because there's a reason why coming off of a stinker, you know, like you did against the Ravens to coming off of a stinker, you know, late in the season, your quarterback being banged up, but he's coming back. There's a reason why he had the belief. It's one guy, CJ Stroud. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's the difference, I think, between the 15 Astros and this uh, Texans team this year. We have some sort of sad news for at least the show, but some really exciting news for Sean. 
for those of you who have been enjoying Houston Sports Talk over the years, uh, we've had three different hosts. They've all been incredible, but Sean has been a real addition because of what he brings, his experience in this Houston market, and also what he brings being out at the Texans all the time and being on the ground floor and seeing what's going on and giving us like real um, angles that we wouldn't know about unless you're in the locker room. Uh, Sean, tell everybody about what your big news is. Well, I appreciate all the kind words, man. Thanks so much. Um, Got an opportunity um, to talk about sports and, uh, you know, share my insights in a weird, crazy side uh, with the masses on a daily basis. So you'll be able to hear me a little bit more often on the daily coming up starting next week, maybe Monday, maybe at night when the sun goes down on a particular radio station that, uh, you know, is also named after a, uh, an important loop that encompasses the city <laughs> 610. So, uh, looking forward to that opportunity. Um, and, uh, hopefully, Hey, um, you know, I can combine visit and chop it up with you, um, in the, uh, near future and down the road. So I'm looking forward to that, but yeah, we're doing a little bit of nighttime radio coming up starting next week and, uh, hope everybody tunes in 610, seven o'clock. Fantastic. And yeah, we'll definitely be pestering you, uh, over the next few months, I'm sure from time to time to make a stop in and Stephen Kerr, who is my co-host prior to you for uh, over a couple of years uh, on the show. He's going to be coming back to help out a little bit um, in the next few months, but I'm um, just really excited that Sean has gotten this opportunity. Uh, you know, we're just not colleagues here doing this, but we've been friends for several years beyond this. And, you know, I know what this means to him to get this type of opportunity with uh, 610. Um, he's had some really good years over there, including some great years uh, co-hosting with Barry Warner, the legend. And uh, really excited to see what what he can do over the next few months to the nighttime hours to sort of six ten after dark, if you want to say. Yeah. Um, that should be pretty fun. And and um, you know, I can't thank you enough for doing this with me over the last couple of years. And um, just want to tell everybody out there to keep keep watching, keep listening, because we if you're just started tuning into us over the last few months, just because the Texans got hot. Hey, we, we're going to have more Texans conversation for sure. There's a lot going on this offseason with the Texans. Astros, they're just several weeks away, believe it or not. Yeah, I think pitchers maybe. and catchers are maybe like five weeks from reporting the Rockets. For sure, we're going to be talking about every single week. The, the Rockets, is uh, they're, 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 they're going to be fighting for the play-in all the way till the end of this year for sure. I mean, that's going to be a fun conversation as the year goes on. So a lot, a lot to talk about. I hope everybody sticks with us. But again, thanks again, Sean. And uh, it was a pleasure, man. No, thank you. I appreciate you giving, you gave me the platform during uh, some, you know, tough times, man. COVID was going on. <laughs> it was basically out of work, had nothing to do at the station. So, uh, you know, being able to chop it up, talk some sports and Houston stuff with you on the weekly. Um, that was a, um, a saving grace mentally. Uh, you know, to kind of let all of that out. So I really appreciate you for the opportunity, man. Thank you. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us 
and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Attack!